My guest for this episode is Derek Keller, a retired carpenter who worked on our canals in the years before the Canal and River Trust took over the guardianship of the British waterways. Derek is also a friend of the Trust, though his passion for our waterways and wildlife began back in the early 80s, earning him a wealth of stories and facts and a nickname from his colleagues, Water Gypsy. Welcome to the Waterfront Podcast, brought to you by the Canal and River Trust and presented by the inimitable David Bramwell. Right, well, my name's Derek Keller, and I used to work for British Waterways Board, um, based at City Road Workshops in London. Um, And our job basically was to go up and down the canal, mending and maintaining the locks and the towpath, etc., as we went through. It was the days when there weren't many people allowed on the towpath. I'm talking about 1982. We had a key given the key so we could go through the lock gates every morning and it was called a bee key and in those days um, with British waterways you went everywhere by boat and you sometimes could take nearly all day to get to the actual job. Everything was done by hand so when it was boring a hole through, through a lock gate, a foot, foot square timber, it was all by hand with this huge auger bit with a stick in the top and you just turned it by hand and sometimes drilling one hole could take you well over half an hour so what you see now in museums I actually used to use because I was using things that had been handed down you know by by the carpenters over, over all the years it was such a great job and again because I Loved all the history of the old lock houses and, and, the, uh, and the weirs and the side ponds uh, full of wildlife, um, hence the reason I got nicknamed by the guys there as a water gypsy. Four years on there, and I put my name down for a canal cottage, thinking I would not hear nothing no more about it. Uh, but a, a little while later, um, the foreman came up and said that I'd been offered this canal cottage, and it was on the Hamill flight, just outside Ealing. And I remembered um, they asked me if I wouldn't mind paying £3.50 a week for the rent, which (laughs) was amazing. And I had about an acre of land um, that came with this cottage and the side ponds as well. There there was a plum orchard and uh, I used to keep goats and chickens and a huge vegetable plot. And whatever I planted grew so well because back in the day when, when the workboats used to go through, the dredger used to tip all the stuff out of the bottom of the canal onto the gardens of the lock cottage. The soil and, and all the muck, once it dried, was so fertile. I mean, mm. you wouldn't have trouble in growing anything. It, it, everything just grew huge. Uh, and the goats that I kept, um, the goat's milk, I used to sell to the local hospital because they just started then in the 80s. They were using it to treat eczema. Green Cemetery, which you can get to by road, but there's also um, an entrance by the canal on the Paddington Arm. And the British Waterways must have had some kind of liaison with the with the council, maybe, that um, there was a small, very small entrance off of the Paddington Arm, enough for uh, wide enough for a boat, so probably about eight foot wide. 
and you went down this little um, stretch and you come to these huge wrought iron gates, very ornate, been there forever, Victorian times. And it was part of uh, our job to, to oil them and just to maintain them, paint them black and what have you. And I'd done some research on this and it turned out that back in Victorian times, uh, anyone that died, it wasn't the dumb thing for people to see uh, coffins going along the road. Uh, so they, they used to bring the coffins in to be buried uh, by a boat and bring them in these wrought iron gates uh, and take them through these gates and then I suppose the coffins were loaded off the boat uh, and then buried in the normal way. One of the guests we've had on occasionally is um, John Shuttleworth. At the end of this podcast, he'll be giving a, a fun canal fact. And I wonder whether you had any, um, any canal facts that might rival his sort of idiosyncratic stories about our, our waterways. Apparently, going back to the, uh, to the working days, if this was when they had the motors and motorboat and the butty, um, uh, especially on the Birmingham run, which used to take them about three or four days, um, they used to pass each other a lot, obviously. And what they used to do uh, when they used to pass each other, um, the wives used to uh, swap boats. As the boats passed each other, you know, she'd get off and she'd get off, right? Uh, they go to Birmingham, they go to London, right? That was their normal run. And then obviously back again with another load, so they'd pass each other again at, at some point. And where the wives go back to the original husband's. Um, and uh, that apparently went on a lot. I'm not sure about the rest of the canal system, probably, but that that what led to me believe when I could see all these people on the Brentford section looking very similar. So <laughs> you had to be very careful um, by saying, "Oh, yeah, that idiot up there, you know, the other day, look what he done in that lot." You know, you could be talking about someone's dad, uncle, brother. Apparently, uh, that 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 was quite the norm. Um, Again, I'm going back to days when there was no public on the towpath. I mean, you're talking about 50s, maybe, up to 60s. I'm not sure. You give me an idea for, a, for another podcast episode, I think, maybe Saucy Secrets of the Waterways. The, what used to fascinate me was was days gone by when they used to use the horse-drawn boats, obviously, which is where the word towpath come from, towing the boats. Um, they used to use these heavy horses, um, shires and um, Clydesdales, horses like that. And I used to make it a point um, of going along the canal and finding what they used to call these horse steps or horse dips as some people call them. But they was basically a, a slope uh, from the towpath down into the canal, about uh, two or three foot wide. Um, so as what used to happen many times, if the boat was jerked for some reason and the horse got pulled into the canal, um, these horse steps were put in place so that the horse could be guided over and, and be able to be brought out in, into the, uh, back onto the towpath. 
been a friend of the trust, you've you've been making bat boxes. Is is that right? Oh yes. Well, that that came about uh, recently, um, quite a few months ago now. I was uh, I saw one of the many emails that I get from the trust about wanting a donation um, to go towards making bat boxes because they was doing a um, a thing about. Uh, making back boxes along the canal. Over a few conversations, I volunteered to make 10 of these boxes. The back boxes that I made, they, they were for two, two types of bat. Um, unlike an ordinary bird where they build a nest and, and they've got lots of sp- free space around them, bats like to feel secure going into snug little holes. These boxes were, were made as such that you had a, a 15 millimetre gap and a 20 millimetre gap which um, they climb up into um, and they, they use their claws on the edges of their wings to climb up these grooves, which are made with saw cuts, um, because they actually have to land flat onto the box and then crawl their way up into this gap. Um, and they're always in numbers, so they always huddle together for, for security. That's why they like feeling, you know, this around them. But they only use them in summer... Um, and, and maybe spring as as roosting boxes. Anytime you see bat boxes on a tree, for instance, they the people always put them in in a circle, like three or four around the tree at the same height. But to actually overwinter, um, they actually find caves and much more secure places. Um, so these bat boxes are made as purely to um, to give them a roost, you know, for the night. As Derek's memories unfolded, I was struck by his passion for the people he had met and worked with over the years, from chance encounters with Richard Branson and the cast of Minder, to the bargees and various lock keepers, one in particular called Larry. Larry uh, had an amazing garden at his lock cottage, uh, growing roses. It was full of them, and, I, and I, I used to see them a lot, lovely. He was asked by different people, you know, how he keeps them so nice because apparently he'd gone into local competition and won prizes and the cups he said uh, he said oh it's none of my doing he said i just water them he said it's my wife that looks after them uh, apparently he was asking him these questions and knew knew the family and they said well um how does your wife look after them because we know that she had died a while ago and he said yes he said because i buried her under the roses he said, so she looks after them and I just walk to them from above, which um, <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> a lot of the people that worked on the canals were ex-boat people and, and this is nothing degrading to them at all. Uh, it was just a complete surprise for me. Uh, these were the days when you used to get your pay packet in little brown envelopes um, brought round by the foreman uh, and, you, and he had a, a checklist there that you signed your name to say you had received it and I noticed that a lot of these people used to put a cross by it uh, and then I had a quiet word with a foreman and he said it's because they can't read or write um, and that really sort of surprised me because I'd never met anyone that you know was in that situation but saying that to see them handle a 70 foot workboat to get it in a tight corner or a space or move it 
was an unbelievable experience because they were so, so clever at, at doing what they'd done, obviously, since they were a boy. Mm. Um, so the mere fact that they couldn't read or write meant nothing, really, because they could, they could do their, their job, you know, fantastic. If you could do it all over again, would you...? Um... Absolutely. I mean, I'm 66 now. Um, I probably wouldn't be able to do what I used to do. I might have to just perhaps supervise or, or do some of the jobs. But I would, I would love to be um, back in that, in that environment again. A great, a great job using my skills, carpentry. But um, you know, when you're dealing with with huge pieces of timber, and that it, it was, um, it was just, you know, mind-boggling really how, how all the jobs got done. If you was really, really had the love of canals, you know, they said you used to drink the canal water and it made your water crazy. I hope you've enjoyed Derek's reminiscences from his days working on the canals. One last thing before we go, provided my punctual postman is true to... Aha. A cassette. And I think we should know by now who this is from. I'll leave you in the capable hands of John Shuttleworth and his neighbour, Ken Worthington. to John Shuttleworth's fantastical and occasionally foolish facts from the weird but wonderful world of waterways. Mad Jack Churchill insisted on fighting in the whole of the Second World War armed only with a sword, bow and arrow and bagpipes. Not only did he survive, he also captured 42 Germans and escaped from a concentration camp. Close to retirement and after a spell in Australia, he returned to Britain designed and built his own 16-foot surfboard and became the first person to do what? Uh, surf while playing the bagpipes? <laughs> no, Ken, but that was a very amusing guess. What then? Well, he became the first person to surf the seven tidal bore. What a loony! No wonder he was called Mad Jack Churchill. <laughs> yes. A huge thank you to our friends that took the time to donate to our Give a Batter Home appeal, which ran throughout autumn 2016. We originally targeted £25,000, but are delighted to have raised just over 42000 Our environment team are incredibly grateful and are now in the process of installing roosts and bat sites at 14 locations around your waterways. Local bat and birdwatching groups, as well as our very own Canal and River Trust volunteers, will be trained to monitor and install the roosts, which will provide bats with a safe place to hibernate and have their pups. This Waterfront podcast was produced by David Bramwell with music by Oddfellows Casino. It was a Smoke Creatives production for the Canal and River Trust. If you like the Waterfront podcast, please leave a review for us on iTunes. Winding through 2,000 miles of beautiful countryside and vibrant cities, our unique network of canals and rivers offer vital havens for people and nature alike because everyone deserves a place to escape. Visit canalrivertrust.org.uk forward slash friend to become a friend of the Trust and receive a wealth of benefits, discounts and the beautifully produced Waterfront magazine. <laughs>